If you have a Bible, open to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 is the first book in the New Testament. It's the first one that we often read as we work our ways through Scripture that tell us the story of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Uh, as many of you know, we don't have a lot of information on the growing years of Christ. We know the miracle surrounding his birth. We know that wise men come to offer gifts. We know at the age of 12, his parents leave him behind in the temple on accident. How many of you ever been left behind at church by your parents? If you grew up Pentecostal, you've had some of those experiences. And then really the story begins to pick up in Matthew 4 where Jesus at the age of 30 is baptized in the Jordan River by his cousin John the Baptist. And you know the story, or at least some of you would be familiar with it this morning. The heavens open up, a voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit, like a dove, lands on his shoulder. And from that moment on, thus begins the public ministry of Christ. That public ministry will last for about three and a half years prior to his execution by the Roman government. And three days later, his resurrection. And then some days after that, his ascension into heaven. And Matthew 4 picks up in a place that is immediately following his baptism. The first thing to happen after his baptism is not preaching at a conference, it's not taking a large offering, it's not writing a best-selling book, it's not collabing on the next best worship CD. Jesus, right after his Matthew 3 baptism, experiences what we now call the temptation of Christ in Matthew 4. Here's why it's important for you to understand the temptation of Christ, because some of us feel like it's hard to relate to Christ because he doesn't know what it's like to be human. And that, friend, would be a wrong assessment of the nature of Jesus. Jesus, through the incarnation, is both fully God and fully man. He's not half God, half man. He's not man sometimes and then God other times. He is fully God and fully man. In fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus, who is our great high priest, is able to sympathize with us in our weakness because he likewise was tempted and tested in every area but did not sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. All of us are tempted and face temptation. Of course, it's a sin to give in to temptation, but Matthew 4 records what we now know as the temptation of Christ. I think the temptation of Christ is more than just a historical story. It's more than just a moment in the life of Jesus. It's a moment that teaches us about his character, his nature, and how we ought to live in our world today. Remember, Jesus is our model. It's not just some sort of pseudo-spiritual historical figure. If you read it in the life of Jesus, it serves as an invitation for you to enter into. Scripture says this, as he was in the world, so are we. And so Christ is our model, the way that he deals with people, the way that he deals with sickness, the way that he interacts with the enemy, the way that he responds to the Father. Jesus is our model. Jesus is at the center of the story. He is at the center of our theology. He is both the foundation, the center, and the head of the church. It's all about Jesus. And so when we read the story, it's important for us to reflect on what this reveals about the central character of Christ. And, and I want to share some of those thoughts with you this morning. Matthew 4, starting in verse 1, this is what the Bible says. Then Jesus 
was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I don't know if you ever read a, a, a passage of Scripture and then take a step back and reflect upon why the Holy Spirit felt it was necessary to inspire what would otherwise seem as ancillary details. And, and I, I think at least the way that I walk away from this set of verses is with this piece of knowledge, the idea that sometimes the only thing that you feel after fasting is hunger. And sometimes the only thing that you feel after tithing is poor. And sometimes the only thing that you feel after going to church is tired. But every time you engage in a spiritual discipline, it serves as preparation for the unseen battle that lies ahead. And Jesus, who is fasting, it doesn't say, and he came out of this fasting experience and he had a halo around his head and he was floating in the air. It says, and Jesus was hungry. And I think sometimes for us, we have these experiences with God in the past that we think will always be copied or replicated in the future. And I've had some tremendous experiences with God, and I still continue to do those things. But there, the older I grow, the more that I recognize that uh, some of the most spiritual things that happen in my life don't feel very spiritual at the time. Like getting fired from that job or facing that valley of disappointment or experiencing that unexpected death in the family. It doesn't really feel spiritual at the moment, but you get two or three years removed from the incident and you're able to look back and recognize that God did his best work in places I couldn't see. It, it, recognize in Matthew 4 and verse 1, it doesn't say, and the devil led him into the wilderness. It doesn't say, and the demons decided to give him a wilderness experience. It says the Spirit, capital S, Spirit, the Spirit of God takes Jesus into the wilderness for a season of testing. And why or how could that be true? Maybe, just maybe, the carpenter of heaven, the one who holds the blueprint for your life, who knows you better than you know you, knows that there are some things that you can only learn in the wilderness that you can't ever learn in the promise. And you think there is a reason why God led the Hebrew children into wilderness for 40 years? Every day was another opportunity for them to glean and learn about the faithfulness of God. The cloud by day, the fire by night, the one who leads them in the way that they should go, that they would never depart from it. For the Hebrew children, the wilderness experience was just as important as receiving the promise. And what we want to do is we want to jump over the wilderness, get to the promise, and then enjoy the land. But Jesus knows unless you develop on the way to your promise, you won't be able to hold on to it anyways. The wilderness serves as your development, where you learn to trust God in every elevation and season of your life. In fact, friend, it's impossible to bring God a sacrifice of praise unless you learn what it's like to worship in the wilderness. Man, life isn't good right now, but God is still worthy. Man, life is difficult right now, but I'm going to make a decision to come to church, raise my hands, sing my guts out. It's not what I feel, but it's who I know. Oftentimes in spirituality, we're led by the nose with our feelings. And I love the feelings, but feelings are so fickle. They are an unfaithful lover. They're here one day, they're gone the next. I don't feel it. 
anymore. <laughs> and if our worship is reduced to how we feel about every individual song or every individual season, we will lose sight of a God who commands the worship of the nations. <laughs> he is their desire. They just don't know it yet. You don't prepare the nursery after the baby is born, but while the woman is pregnant. We are in a season of preparation which will be tested by what's coming next. Come on, can you feel it in the air? This is a wilderness season. Can you feel it in the air, man? It feels like God is developing and discipling and encouraging and admonishing and, and a little bit of everything all at once. And it's not comfortable and it's not awesome. And we're having to learn how to adapt and, 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 and evolve and, 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 and be flexible and all those things on this journey. But God is teaching the church something now that we can't learn later. And if less like the sons of Issachar, we learn the times and the seasons of our anointing, we will be ill-prepared to receive the promise. See, this isn't wasted time. It's wilderness time. And the Spirit of God leads Jesus. It's not because God doesn't trust God. It's because even Jesus needed to experience the wilderness. And if he didn't escape it, why do you think you'll escape it? Yeah, sometimes we over-glamorize the Bible. Like, well, you know, of course Jesus did that because he was Jesus. Or of course the disciples did that because they were the disciples. And it would have been a lot different to be back then because we would see Jesus. He'd be just walking around us. In fact, Scripture says, though, you live in a better covenant. Because you don't just see Jesus walking around you. In fact, his Holy Spirit takes residence in your life. We actually live in a better time, not a worse time. We live in the best time to be alive. Why? Because you have become a temple of the Holy Ghost. That veil of separation was torn when Christ hung on the cross. And what it represented is that you and I now have access to the Holy of Holies. And what would kill sinful men before now invites them to be made new. That's how the covenant of death has become the covenant of life. We've been invited in. Now, Jesus is in the wilderness. Interesting, the Bible says that he's fasting. Well... Some of us have heard that term before, others of us haven't, but fasting is essentially a physical discipline that represents an interior spiritual condition. It says, I'm setting aside what I need in the physical for what I desire in the spiritual. And listen, sometimes people become religious about following Christ. They become religious about their systems that govern their life. And my encouragement to you is that what you develop intentionally is a Christ followership that is emblematic of a continually stirred desire. Right? If you engage in spiritual systems without spiritual intimacy, what you will end up as is a religious robot. Remember, the Pharisees even criticized the disciples. And Jesus, they said, we're fasting. Why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus said, you don't fast when the bridegroom's here. They had become so religious about their system, they missed out that the entire point of the system is to get you to see Jesus. And sometimes we think that we can manipulate God into moving in a certain way. If I just pray for X amount of minutes or fast X amount of meals or read X amount of chapters, then I really get what I want from God. And maybe, just maybe, he is after something so much more sacred than your religious system. It's good to have systems. We all have systems and patterns. But unless your systems and patterns point you to Jesus, you will become the God that you serve. Okay, so watch what happens here. 
In Luke 4, in verse 14, in the retelling of this story, the author says, Jesus, after this experience, returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. The same Spirit that leads him into the wilderness now empowers him for public ministry outside of the wilderness. Can I tell you, friend, in our culture, we tend to reject hiddenness. We, re, we, we, intend, we, 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 we often reject wilderness because it wars against our flesh, which craves affirmation, exposure, accolades, and attention. But God does his best work in places people can't see. Things are conceived in private, birthed in public. Have you disciplined yourself enough to be alone with the Father that there could be some things conceived in your heart so that when you get where you're going, they could be planted in that soil? Yeah, I saw somebody say this on Facebook this week, but, but they said, you need the Holy Spirit to get to heaven. Yeah, I was thinking to myself, you need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the world today. Walmart's got a mask policy. They need a pants policy as well. I mean, they've got... <laughs> We got a situation in our world today. <laughs> like being spirit empowered is not an option for believers today. It's not like, man, if, if it works within your theological framework and if you can really make time for Jesus and, and if you really feel emotional today, like be spirit empowered. Friend, this is the bare minimum qualifier to be a believer in our world today. We need Christians unashamed, unembarrassed to be spirit filled in power, making a dent on the world around them. We have served the world powerless Christianity, and where has it led us? Tombs filled with dead men's bones. But when the Spirit of God begins to breathe on the bride, flesh comes back to the bones, and the world begins to shake. That's what we were created for. We were created for awakening. It's in our DNA. It's what we crave. It's why we lean into songs like revival, because it's imprinted on the molecules of our body. You were created for awakening. You were created for love. You were created for intimacy with God. It is who you have always been created to be. And that's why for some of you this morning, you're visiting, it's your first time or second time or third time here, and you're here in this environment, and you're feeling something come alive in you. It's like you're leaning in. You're having a Luke 24 burning heart experience. I haven't heard this before or seen this before, and that guy's a little passionate, and he's a little foolish, but I was made for this. God's printed something on the inside of who we are. It's an awakening. It's a deep that cries out unto deep. It's a living water. It's a, it's, it's a John 7. Out of our innermost being will flow rivers. It's something that we were created to be. See, you were created for this. Now, you don't know it yet, but you were created for this. But we need the Spirit's work in our life. And the Spirit does His work in consecrated places like the wilderness. Some of us pray for development, but then curse the desert. And what if the desert is a necessary place that you must travel through? I didn't say camp in, but I said travel through to get where you're going. Maybe the wilderness is as important for your spiritual development as anything else. God, I just want to grow. God, I just want to develop. God, I just want to be everything that you want me to be. And all of a sudden, the Spirit drives us into the desert. 
the wilderness of discipline, the wilderness of admonishment, the wilderness of consecration, the wilderness where we feel like I'm losing friends, the wilderness where I'm like, man, some of those old things don't satisfy me anymore, the wilderness of feeling like, is everybody against me? Am I all alone? I feel isolated, confused, and all turned around. And God says, I have you right where I want you. Because I'll tell you what, when God gets you alone, he can deal with your heart. You can hide in your living room just as easy as you can hide in the church. Oh, I'm here with my hands raised, but really my heart's closed off. I won't allow God to have access to those deep things inside of me. I'll look all spiritual on the outside, but in reality, I'm suffering. And when God gets you alone, he has you right where he wants you. Why do you think there is such a war for your time and your attention in this world today? We are always connected and never alone. And then God grab you by the hand and he'll lead you in a place using a myriad of circumstances where it's just you and him. And you'll reach the end of your rope. You'll have nowhere to go. You'll realize that Jesus is not only all you have, it's all you need. And in that moment, things are imprinted in your heart. Friend, there's a reason why you went through that addictive portion. There's a reason why you went to that rehab. There's a reason why that relationship didn't work and you felt like you were crushed and you got hurt in that church. There's a reason why you went through those things. Because God was weaving even the broken part of your narrative into the beautiful fabric that it is today. And God uses the moments of wilderness to craft the promise. We have so focused on getting where we're going, we forget. That God doesn't just lead us by green pastures and still waters. He's also with us in the valley of the shadow of death where we fear no evil. So if you feel scared to death, alone, isolated, nervous, anxious, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. And then instead of asking God to deliver you out of difficulty, ask him to develop you in the midst of it. God just rapture me home. God, don't go hide in my cell. Just wait till this world improves. The world ain't improving, friend. You'll be waiting for a long time. So you can either be a victim of the darkness around you or turn on a light. <laughs> God, just rapture me out of here. Oh, friend, you've been placed here on purpose. Yeah, 2020 difficult on us too. I don't know what tomorrow holds. They're saying tomorrow the governor's going to come out, probably shut down all the churches again. And 2020 hasn't been easy on any of us. But I know that Jesus is still Lord today as much as he was yesterday and as much as he will be tomorrow. And so if he is unrattled by governments and politicians and kings and rulers, come on, let me tell you, friend, the church has survived a whole lot of totalitarian rulers over the last 2,000 years. If Rome couldn't kill the church, neither can this government, and we're going to be everything God has asked us to be in this season. And you know what? If you read the church fathers, the church always flourishes in the midst of interference. It always flourishes in the midst of difficulty. Why? Because it's not what we avoid. It's where we flourish. Yeah, throw me in the lion's den. They're going to be on a Daniel fast. Throw me in the prison in Philippi. That's okay. We're going to worship. Throw me in Nebuchadnezzar's fire. That's fine because there's a fourth one like the Son of Man who always shows up. Lock me in an upper room. Jesus walks through walls. The church flourishes. This is our time. If we can't find our voice now, let's pack up and sell ice cream. Friend, this is who we were created to be. (laughs) 
This moment in history is not the end of the church. It's the beginning of the next great awakening. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. In a hundred years, church historians will write about this moment in 2020 when they thought all hope was lost and God raised up a remnant. <laughs> this is who we are. Oh, it's a good time to be alive. I know none of us, if I would have told you six months ago we would be facing what we face today, you would think I was crazy. Conspiracy theorist. Wild. But here we are. And there's one like the Son of Man who's in the midst of it. And when we come out the other side, unsinged by the flame, it's a testimony to this Babylonian world that Jesus is the highest name and the highest authority. So God, develop us in the midst of this. Why couldn't God just take the three Hebrew boys and just rapture them out of there? Why did they have to go to the furnace in order for God to prove himself faithful? Because it wasn't just about them. It was about a pagan king and an entire nation of people who would see that Jesus is king. Okay? So watch this. Hang with me for a minute. Don't, don't toot out. Hang with me. Bible says this, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, men shall not live on bread alone, but on every word, every word that comes from the mouth of God. I want you to see what the tempter starts in verse 3. He says this, if you are the son of God. One of the most important tools in your spiritual battle is a settled identity. Friend, the damage of sin is not found in the act, but instead in the shame that attaches to your identity after the act. That's why it's so important that we communicate the gospel is not shame on you, it's shame off you. You can't shame people into relationship with God because shame isn't a tool of the Father, it's a tool of the enemy. And in this moment, enemy is trying to get Jesus to question his identity. And that's the problem of sin and error in our world today, is that we get into seasons of darkness and we begin to question who we really are. Maybe I am this way. Maybe I'll never get better. Maybe I'll always be an addict. Maybe I'll always be a problem. Maybe I'll always be broke. Maybe I'll always be sick. We begin to question what God has already settled in eternity. The law says you are what you've done. The gospel says you are what Christ has done. Culture says I was born this way, but the gospel says you must be born again. Family systems say this is the way it will always be, but the gospel says you've been adopted into a new family with new patterns and new processes and new ways of thinking. Essentially this, what I was before pales in comparison to who I am now. I'm not a cleaned up version of who I was pre-Christ. I've been made completely new. And when you've been made completely new, it leads you to reframing your world now through the lens of Christ. Watch how Jesus responds. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from God. Essentially this, I won't survive if all I ever do is feed on the natural. But there is something supernatural that happens in my life when I hear, speak, confess God's word over my circumstance. Friend, let me give you a word from the Lord this morning. You will not survive this season if all you do is feed on the outrage from social media. Yeah. 
everybody's upset about everything. If you get on there and say, I love God, they'll say, well, why don't you say you love your neighbor? Get on there and you say you love your neighbor. Well, it doesn't really look like it. You can't say anything right. You can't say anything wrong. Because what we have is a spirit of the age that's attached to the way that people think. Because they've been more discipled by Instagram than the Bible. So they're going to comment and like and share and tweet. And if you don't do exactly what I do, and if you don't do it in this way, and if you look this certain way, it's a spirit that's been released on the earth. You will not survive this season if you feed on the perpetual outrage that comes across them social media clicks. I'm not saying Facebook is evil, but it's darn near close. <laughs> and everybody has an opinion. It's almost like this worship of self. Man, the world just really needs my opinion. If I disagree, do you know, let, let, me just, let me just interject a novel idea into your life this morning. Do you know that you can disagree with somebody without even telling them that you disagree with them? Did you know that you can have a different opinion with somebody than commenting that you have a different opinion with somebody? And most of those opinions you just keep to yourself. You're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. But see, we need everybody to know that we're right. It's like the old cartoon of the man up late at night pounding away on the keyboard on his computer. His wife says, come to bed. And he goes, no, somebody was wrong on the internet. I've got to correct them. We're like hamsters on this wheel. Running, exhausted. Oh, man, where did all my energy go? It's only 10 a.m. Yeah, but you've been three hours scrolling, and it's all negative. Yeah. I, I tell you what, we, we, could, we should be concerned about COVID, but you should be more concerned about the spirit of the age that is rewiring how Christians think. And if you allow fear, anxiety opinion, arguments to dominate your framework, what you don't have room for is perfect peace. Those cannot coexist. So you ought to make a choice. Isaiah 41, he is my strength and hope. John 16, in him I've overcome the world. Psalms 37, he is my direction and strategy. 2 Corinthians 12, his grace is sufficient. Philippians 4, he's the one who guards my heart. 1 Peter 2, he's my healing portion. Exodus 14, he fights on my behalf. Romans 8, he's working it out. Faith declares things that aren't as if they are. And if you ever feel crazy being a person of faith, welcome to the club. You stare into the void and you see substance. You stare into the darkness and you see light. You stare into what is formless and you see a spirit hovering over it. As people of faith, we, come, we become professionals about declaring things in an opposite spirit the world brings. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. See, faith requires you to take this word and allow it to become the manifestation of your life. There are things that you will have to declare over your life every day. But that's what it means to be a person of faith. Well, I don't feel saved this morning, okay. Well, I don't feel married this morning, okay. Well, I don't feel happy this morning, okay. Well, I don't feel like his strength is sufficient this morning, okay. Join the club, we're there. Man, we're all in this boat together. We wake up and feelings are fickle. They're there one day, gone the next. You can feel like a champion on Monday, a loser on Tuesday. But if scripture is your foundation, then you've got a weapon to use that frames your world. And it's by faith that we declare. I know what the world confesses. But my question for you today is, do you know what God says about your life and your circumstance? You know, we live in a world that loves the saying, my truth. I got my truth. You got your truth, that's okay. I got my truth. Can I tell you today, friend, you don't have a truth. Sorry, you don't. You have a perspective on truth, but you don't own the truth. 
and we have allowed postmodern dialogue to become what has framed our moral output in our world today. And I'll tell you what, there is an argument in this world today, a fight over definitions and language. And language is one of the building blocks of culture. Why do you think when Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian Empire carries off the Hebrew children into slavery, the first thing he does is change their clothes, change their language, and change their diet. He understood something about culture that the church hasn't learned. Now, I'm not going to submit my definitions to, 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 to kind of this blended, synchristic world that we live in. It's not going to happen. Jesus says, not I am one of the truths, I am one of the lights, I am one of the ways. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And watch, no man comes to the Father except through me. Essentially, the road that leads to destruction is broad. There is a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in death. But through Christ, you have life. See, that's why I reject, on its head, universalism. Amen. See, there's this movement, some, some places today, some, some charismatic environments today. You know what I'm talking about? It's a movement towards universalism. Oh, God is just so good, just everybody in the end. And Friend, you ought to be, be Bible-based. Friend, you ought to have your mind renewed by the Word. I don't think that we save people by preaching hell. I'm going to preach Jesus. But I believe in a real eternity. And there's only one way to come to the Father. It's through the Son. You know, when you're talking to people, like, yeah, I believe in God. And, you know, it, 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 the conversation always boils down to who is Jesus. Yeah, most of us operate with some concept of God. In our world today, in our culture, a lot of people operate with some sort of deistic concept. I believe in a deity. I believe in a God. Sure, call him God. Yeah, friend, but who is Jesus? That's what it boils down to for us. Who is Jesus? And what we know is that the Holy Spirit leads us into the truth that is Christ. It doesn't mean that we become dogmatic about things that we don't need to make dogmatic. It doesn't mean that we make mountains out of molehills. But I'm telling you, friend, if we can't agree on Jesus, we can't agree on much. There's only one way to the Father, and it's through the Son. And Jesus is that truth. Here's the problem. You don't have a truth, you have a perspective. My truth is an idolatry of self. As a follower of Christ, friend, you have given up the right to self-define. And this is why deconstruction as a sociological framework isn't ultimately helpful. Because unless you plan on allowing the carpenter of heaven to rebuild your life, what you end up with is a mess. I want you to think about this this morning, friend. Every person... Nobody is exempt, has a form. This form is made up of your beliefs, your values, your principles, your emotional IQ, your family systems, your heritage, your background, your ethnicity, your political beliefs. It's a form, and it helps frame the world that you live in. And if you follow Christ for long enough, what you will recognize is not everything in my form is wrong, not everything in my form is bad, but eventually, one day my form will bump up into God's form. And when that happens, I've got to make a decision. I will either be conformed to the world or transformed into his image. And that word transformed literally means to trade an old form for a new form. So what we've tried to do is we've tried to add everything new to what's old. But how can new wine go in an old wineskin? It doesn't work, lest the wineskin burst. And friend, I'm telling you, if you follow Jesus long enough, what you will recognize is that there are some things in my system 
that don't make it into his kingdom. And when my form comes into conflict with his form, it's like two tectonic plates that collide. Ultimately, one will have to decide to submit to the other. And when your form bumps up to his form, friend, what will you decide? Romans 12, do not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Watch, Jesus is the living word. He is quoting the written word to defeat the imitation word of the enemy. You need both. If you have the written word, but not the living word, you're a dried up religious hypocrite. If you have the living word, but you ain't anchored to the written word, you'll get wild. You'll start a cult. You'll form some things that you don't want to form. You're going to think you're always right. Pretty soon you become the God that you worship. Jesus, the living word, is quoting the written word. We need both. Now watch what happens in verse 5. Now I'm almost, well, I'm not almost done. But anyways, I'll say that for your benefit. I'm almost done. Watch verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, if you are the son of God. Again, with this identity stuff. If you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They'll lift you up in their hands, and you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered them, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Friend, let me tell you this. Even the devil can quote scripture. Meaning this, scripture devoid of context will lead you to bizarre conclusions. <laughs> but you know what else will lead you to bizarre conclusions? Relationship with God and not community with others. See, we are really good at either or. We're really bad at both ends. And the devil, flipping through the scripture, pulls something from the life of David, quotes it out of context to Jesus, as if the imitation word can deceive the living word. And Jesus responds, you will not test the Lord your God. Friend, my encouragement for you is not that you just have context in your hermeneutic, which is the way that you understand scripture, but you have context in your Christian life and discipleship, meaning that what you don't form is an echo chamber where your voice always sounds awesome all the time. You know why everybody's a good singer in the shower? Because nobody else is there. You ever sing in the shower, you're like, yeah, I could be on American Idol. Yeah. I can always tell people who don't have good friends when they audition for American Idol. And the people are looking at them like, this is not the voice of an angel, I'll tell you that much. See, we formed our own echo chambers where all we hear is our voice. And pretty soon, every idea we have sounds like a good idea. And pretty soon, you believe everything you think. Friend, it's dangerous to believe everything you think. There are some things you think that you shouldn't believe. That you ought to submit to the Lordship of Christ because you take captive every vain imagination. <laughs> and the enemy, quote, in Scripture... See, some of you have been hurt by somebody who has quoted out of context Scripture and shut something down in your life. And can I tell you, friend, just because you were hurt in church doesn't mean you were hurt by Jesus. So don't hold him hostage to the hurt of people. And there is nobody who has been hurt in church more than Jesus, and he still shows up. 
So can I tell you, friend, today would be a real good day to forgive, to release forgiveness, to release grace, to release healing to somebody who used something out of context, probably unintentionally, but ended up hurting you in a real sincere way. And in order to walk out of the tombs of unforgiveness, you got to let things go. It doesn't mean that you don't have boundaries. It doesn't mean that you aren't smart in the way that you lead your life. But can I tell you, there are people in here today, you had a pastor, a leader, a friend, a youth pastor, a youth leader, and somebody said something, and it hit you wrong. It was in the wrong spirit, in the wrong context, and you didn't have the tools at that time to combat it, but you know it did damage to your life. And friend, today's a really great day to get freedom in Jesus. Because <laughs> even the devil quotes scripture. Watch. Watch what happens. There's a temptation that we got to be careful of in our charismatic movement, and it's this. If I am not constantly entertained or thrilled by what I experience at church, then this whole Christian thing is just not for me. We've reduced spirituality to an experience that only serves our need to be amused. The devil's telling Jesus, throw yourself down. Woo, it'd be the ride of a lifetime. The angels, they'll catch you. Doesn't matter. Come on, look at the thrill of life. Look at the thrill of this moment. And some of us have had these really powerful moments in church. But what we haven't developed is an honor for the commonplace of spirituality. And so we're always looking for a pastor to send us to a level 10 or a worship team to play our favorite song in the right way to send us to a level 20. And if we don't get there, man, I probably won't show up for another two or three months because it just really didn't do it for me anymore. But here's the problem. If you use that same logic in your marriage, you won't be married long. If you use it in your friendships, you won't have friends for long. If you use it at your place of employment, you won't be employed for long because there is never the thrill of something new when that thing has become more of a common ingredient in your life. So you got to make a decision in this moment. Will I discipline my spirit into a place where I can honor the commonality of what it looks like to follow Christ? There's going to be some days where you're like, dude, this Christian thing is awesome. I love it. There's going to be a lot of days where you got to discipline yourself into following Jesus. I don't feel like it. It's not great. It's not awesome. I'm upset. The lockdown sucks, but I'm going to make a decision to worship Jesus. I'm going to honor the common. It's like a person who always tries to recreate their honeymoon. It's not possible because that was a moment in time. It doesn't mean that there's not good experiences down the road. But I feel like we're often trying to turn back the clock because we worship nostalgia more than we honor discipleship. And Frank, can I tell you, when you make a decision to be a disciple, a disciplined person into Christ followership, no, not every day feels like a honeymoon. But I'll tell you what, Every day that you draw closer to him, his truth and his revelation takes a deeper hold in your heart. The deep things. You know what I mean? The deep things of God. When he does a deep work in your heart. Let me close with this. Watch, watch. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms. He said, all this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil left him and angels came and attended him. Friend, our culture wants unlimited options, zero consequences, and no one to tell us that we could ever possibly be wrong. 
But friend, what does it profit a man to gain the entire world and lose his soul? I know the temptation well. The spirit of the age, just go along with the world, play their games, submit to their values, and look at all the things that you will gain. But my worship and my allegiance belongs to Jesus. And watch, the devil is telling the king of kings, the one who the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kings of our Lord and Savior, the devil is trying to tempt the king of kings to bow down and worship him to inherit the kingdoms. Can I tell you, friend? The devil always try to come and hang things in front of you to try to get you to submit in disobedience, to earn those types of things. But Jesus, who has inherited all the kingdoms of the world, gains his inheritance through obedience to the Father. And I think sometimes for us, we're worried like God doesn't have good things for me in my future. Like I can't trust God for a relationship, so I've just got to sleep with the first guy or the first girl who looks at me. I can't trust God for an education, so I get real frustrated when I don't get into that school that I want. I can't trust God for a good job, so instead of waiting for the right thing, I take the wrong thing. I can't trust that God has good things for me in my life, so instead of staying in a place of worship, I enter into a place of disobedience to try to gain through disobedience what I already own through inheritance. I already have a secure future. I already have a plan and a promise. I already have those things, those resources, those open doors. I already have those. And if I'll stay in a place of worship, if I'll stay in a place of allegiance to Jesus, if I'll stay in a place of honoring Him above all others, if I'll stay in that place, everything that my eye is set on, the promises of God, which are yes and amen, will be applied on my behalf. Right, Matthew 4 teaches us about the season of life we're in. Friend, do not bow to the music of culture. Do not bow to the mob. Friend, do not trade your worship for Jesus to allegiance to any other organization. Friend, let's be those type of people who in the midst of the noise keep our eyes set on him, the author and the finisher of our faith. Would you stand with me as we close? Pray, let me pray for you. I want to pray courage into your heart. We're going into another unprecedented week. We'll take it one day at a time. But I tell you this, no matter what tomorrow brings, Jesus is still on the throne. And our worship and our attention and our allegiance belongs to him. God, I pray that you would help us in both big ways and small ways. God, that you would do what only you can do, not by our might or by our power, but instead by your spirit. And God, for those who find themselves in the midst of a wilderness experience this morning, God, we pray for your supernatural grace, which is more than sufficient for everything that they face. God, we pray for your empowering presence on our church in this season. 
God, I declare over this community that it will grow in favor and wisdom and increase during this season. That what the enemy has meant for evil, that God, in fact, would use for good. And God, I pray that you would keep us steadfast, persevering, eyes set on the prize, never wavering, knowing that God who begun is faithful to finish and he's not done yet. And so we say, God, do your best work in us. Do a redemptive work in this region. And God, somehow, some way, would you bring the circumstances of our life to glorify you. And Father, we'll give you all the honor. We'll give you all the praise. In the wonderful name of Jesus, come on, all God's people said, amen, amen. Thanks so much for joining us for church. Friend, we're going to keep you updated. We'll let you know. Stay tuned on our social media platforms. We'll let you know what next week will hold. But as of right now, I'm planning to see a lot of you back here, 9 a.m., 11 a.m. next week. Let's fill God's house. Let's do it together. God bless. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much for joining us for Pursuit.